for you to turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and let's look there in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, in verse 21. We're speaking tonight on the 11th tenet of our statement of faith, on the glorious doctrine of justification. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. He's speaking there between the Jews or the Gentiles. They're both saved alike. There's not one salvation for one group of people and another salvation for another group of people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here we see this glorious doctrine, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the payment price, the purchase price that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, another big word, When you come across a big word, do you know what you need to do? You need to look it up. You need to know what those big words mean. That word means God's satisfaction. There's recently some great debate in some denominations about God's wrath and is God mad? I've seen seen billboards that God is not mad at anything or anybody. God is not angry. And... uh, But the Bible clearly teaches us that God is angry at the wicked every day. He's angry at sin. And that wrath must be appeased. And that's what Christ's work does. It appeases the wrath of God. It's a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission, for the sending away of sins that are passed through the forbearance, through the long-suffering of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Of course he is. The judge can only do that which is right. Isn't that what Abraham prayed? That he might be just. Well, how can he be just and clear sinners? That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We're getting on shouting ground here tonight, aren't we? Where is boasting then? What can you brag on? We glory in the cross of Christ. We glory in Jesus Christ. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. It is put away. There's no room for any man-centered boasting. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude. It sounds like that Paul has come to the end of the matter. We come to a conclusion that a man is justified, a man is cleared of blame. A man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Praise the Lord, that's, that's not the case. Or we would be outside, wouldn't we? Is he not also of the Gentiles? yes. Of the Gentiles also, praise his holy name. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the Jews, the circumcision, by faith, 
And the uncircumcision through faith, the means is the same. The appropriation must be through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Of course not. We establish the law. God's law is satisfied. His justice is satisfied through the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what sacred ground we stand upon tonight. It is ground made righteous by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help these lips of clay and this vessel that you have set here tonight to declare this glorious doctrine. Lord, we could never do it justice in one sitting, in one perusal of it, but may this serve as an introduction to whet our appetite for this lifelong glorying in our standing in Christ Jesus. We pray and we praise in his name. Amen. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal of sinners who believe in Christ from all sin through the satisfaction that Christ has made not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but on account of the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith. There are those who think that to deal with such topics is not necessary, that maybe lighter themes should be taken and discussing the things of God, but I would venture to say without a proper understanding of the doctrine before us, there can be no real growth in grace, no real understanding of what salvation truly is, no real assurance of sins forgiven and being made right with God because that's what the Bible says. When you see a word justify, what does it mean? What is involved what are the privileges to be enjoyed? There, with every doctrine, there is not just knowledge of it, there's responsibility to understand it and to teach it to others. But these open the doors of great privileges to the child of God. Romans 8 verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. He decided beforehand, and then his calling is an effectual call. We call it, when he calls the sinner... Them he predestinated, he called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Do you know our glorification there is, is presented to us as a settled fact? Now, we know that we're not yet glorified in our experience, but when you read Romans 8, verse 30, them whom he justified, he also glorified in the past tense. And so it is as real and literal for us, our glorification, our perfection, these bodies resurrected, recreated into the very likeness of the Son of God, absolutely glorified. The scriptures look at it as a settled and past fact. Romans 4 verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. 
His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth, and we read that scripture in Psalm 32, blessedness of the man into whom God imputeth or reckoneth or does not put on his account the Lord, unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Ephesians 1 verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Romans 5 verse 17, For as by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And so we see in that scripture that justification causes us to be made righteous. Philippians 3 verse 8, Paul is giving his testimony. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, reputation, standing, my position in Judaism, all that's taken from me. I have suffered the loss of all things. Not many of you lost your job and your standing and your family and everything totally when you came to Christ. But Paul did. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but manure. Can care less about them compared to Christ. That I might win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, we have all these Bible definitions of what justification does. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In my verse I love and quote so often, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I've read through various tomes of theology, and uh, when theologians get into deep water, they tend to get drowning in the, the words to describe their, their teachings. And so I've tried to put a Chris Lamb definition on this, and you know, that's, that's kind of dangerous because... You get halfway through it and find out, well, it was better just to say what they said. But let me explain to you, justification takes place at our conversion. It is a legal action performed by God, who because of Christ's perfect work on the cross in our place for sinners, he imputes 
or puts Christ's perfect record in the place of my sinful record. Does that, does that, does that make sense to you? God is here. The picture is the courtroom of heaven. And God is on the throne of judgment. And our sins, which are many, are standing in front of us and must be accounted for. They cannot be excused. We cannot say, oh, that was a mistake, or I didn't mean to do that, or I was born in a bad home, or I I was taken advantage of. And all the excuses in the perfect, white, holy light of, of God, the Word made flesh, He dwelt among us. Every excuse will be as a cinder of of ashes melted away. And there stands our horrible record, and something must be done about it. In fact, did not the righteous judge say, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not just in time, not just being obliterated and going to a a grave as a, a dog or an animal, but eternally cut off. The living dead, the soul never dying, but eternally cut off and in torment from the love and the grace and the peace and the enjoyment of God our Creator. The sinner in justification is united with Christ and is declared by God to be free from all the perfect and right demands of the law. I despise preaching that puts the law of God in a bad light. The law of God is precious. It is sacred. It is God's word. Paul said, I would not have known sin if not by the law. The law of God reveals to us who God is and what he expects. It is good. It is righteous. It is holy. And we have broken it. We have offended in every point. We call this being pardoned, this justifying act of God, being pardoned from all of our sins. And we are accepted by God as being righteous because Christ's righteousness has been given to us. Romans 8, 33 tells us very plainly, it is God that justifieth. It's not a human court. It is not a denominational meeting. It is not a religious rite where you go through certain things and they say, okay, you've got it, you're justified. Oh, no, no, no. It is not some act that we can perform. It is not the angelic choirs and the millions above who decide, let us clear this sinner from his blame. It is God that justifies. Because he gave the law... And the judge of what is right, he alone can be the justifier, as we read in our scripture portion tonight. He justifies or clears the guilty because the demands of the law have been met. You see, there's so much to rejoice about tonight when we see that the righteous law we should have kept but could not have kept because of our infirmity because of our depravity, our fallenness. But the demands of the righteous law have been met through the perfect life of Jesus Christ. This act of God of announcing a guilty sinner being cleared. Notice I said a guilty sinner being cleared. 
The sinner is guilty as far as his record is concerned before the eyes of man and his own heart and conscience. But God, the judge, clears him of of guilt. He clears the guilty because the demands of the law have been met. This act of God is free and totally from his free grace. It is by his choice that he accepts the substitute. And because Christ and his perfect work had been given by God himself. He set the standard and then met the demands of the law. The declaration by God, the righteous judge, sets the sinner free. So many of our songs, sing, we sing about that, don't we? Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought of being set free. We sang tonight, I will sing of my Redeemer from the curse he set me free. This declaration of a, the righteous judge that sets sinners free from all the demands of the law and gives to the sinner all the blessings that his new standing calls for. The law of God says, for example, as I've already mentioned, the soul that sinneth it shall die. That is eternal separation because one who lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ, died and met the demands of that law so God can be just in clearing the guilty one. The reason this is a legal matter, and justification is indeed a legal term, and the scene is a courtroom in in heaven, the setting is because the law has been broken. Now, we live in a day where people don't tremble at breaking the law. In fact, we're more and more living in a lawless society where the rules are being obliterated and, and because this person deems the law, he doesn't have to go by it and then he's punished by it, then all there's an uprising. We see this every day, don't we? How about the, the law of the land is being held in law, low regard and re, in reality that's the case of sinners against the precious and perfect law of God. If they think of that as the law of the land, what do they think of the law of this book? You mention a verse of scripture and people say, well, so what? I could care less. You see, the law of God stands steadfast and sure. It is not diminished because someone thinks it is old-fashioned or uh, undesirable or it cramps their style or or goes against the life they want to live. It is just, it is right, it is perfect because a perfect God gave it. The word, the, the, the one who perfectly and fully meets the demands of the law doesn't need to be justified. His standing before the law is one who is righteous and and in need of nothing. Our Lord Jesus Christ is righteous. He doesn't need to be justified. That word just is used over and over again throughout the scriptures. And when you see it, you need to take note because it will often be used to describe a person. We notice in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19 that Joseph, the the fiancé, the betrothed, husband of of Mary, the scripture refers to him as being a just man. That means that he was cleared of blame and guilt and had been made right with God by his faith in him. While a generation is an act of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God begins the life in a believer that leads to conversion. Regeneration is an act of the Spirit that gives spiritual life to the one who is dead in their trespasses and sins. Justification is an act of God the Father. Justification, then, is a legal standing of a person in heaven. To justify means, as I've already said, to declare righteous. It is God the Father's action that he takes in response to a repenting sinner. 
Justification is outside the sinner. They can't procure it. There's nothing they can do to get it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is outside the sinner. It is not something we can come up with, with connections or with any ingenuity of our own. This act of being justified is a gift. It must be given to us. It cannot be earned by religious works or rites. The Bible teaches in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. It's very clear, isn't it? No one can be justified by keeping the law. Many people in churches today think that that's the case. You ask them about their standing before God, they would tell you that they were a Christian, that they loved God, and they were living by the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or trying to keep the Word of God, and they're sincere about it. But this blows all that right out of the water, doesn't it? There, by the deeds of the law shall no man, no flesh, be justified. If justification could be earned, I ask you the question, and could you please answer it? If justification could be earned, then why would Christ have to come to die? Why the sacrifices? The choir so beautifully sang, and it was we heard tonight, crowned or crucified. If if we could be justified in some other way, precious only begotten Son of God be cruelly offered for what? What was that about if, if there were some other way? But the record stands, it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. The law is said to demand such complete and perfect obedience that Whosoever shall keep the whole law and stumble in one point, he has become guilty of all. The fact is, we have become guilty in far more than one point, but James sets up the hypothetical situation. The law of God is taken as a whole. You don't get to pick and choose which sins you can commit and which law you can keep. It is all bound upon us by the perfect holiness of God. Galatians 3.21 teaches, If there had been a law given which could make alive, verily righteousness would have been of the law. But that is not the case. Not only are men not saved by works, they are not saved by a combination of works and grace. There are those who will say, Yes, preacher, what you're saying is true, but you must combine works and grace. Something entirely outside of man must constitute the basis of justification and this is the perfect work of Christ for us and in our place. This justification and righteousness then can only be found in Christ. Christ is presented in the scriptures as the Lamb of God. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This speaks of a sacrificial work, an atoning work. The Lamb, as we've seen this morning and throughout the Old Testament, represents an innocent one, a sinless one, dying in place of another. That's where we get the word, that sacrificial, that atoning work, is the word for propitiation, the appeasement, the satisfying of God. God's perfect holiness had to be appeased. There's some who get very upset about that, that God... We'd be insulted. They're insulted that God is insulted. That God's holiness has been impugned. Oh, how pitiful we are. When the songwriters say we are but worms, 
We are certainly but worms, especially when we raise our puny little fist in God's face and say, how dare you be offended at whatever I do. Shall the creature say to the creator, what makest thou? What are you doing? What have you done in my life? Christ's sacrificial work appeases a holy God. Why? Because his righteousness must be met. Man must be reconciled to God. God has never moved. He's never changed. He's never morphed into something else. He is the offended party, not us. And we must be made right with him. If you look up the word in Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament word, the word propitiation, you'll see that through the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, he who believes upon him is by God's own act delivered from justly deserved wrath and comes under the covenant of grace. Never is God said to be reconciled, a fact itself indicative that the enmity exists on man's part alone and that it is man who needs to be reconciled to God. God is always the same, and since he himself is immutable, his relative attitude does change toward those who change. He can act differently toward those who come to him by faith and solely on the ground of the sacrifice of Christ, not because he has changed but because he ever acts according to his unchanging righteousness. The expiatory work of the cross is therefore the means whereby the barrier which sin interposes between God and man is broken down. By the giving up of his sinless life sacrificially, Christ annuls the power of sin to separate between God and the believer. We are justified, Romans 5, 9 tells us, by Christ's blood and reconciled by his death, Romans 5, 10, and by his cross, Ephesians 2, 16. Our justification is due to the active obedience of Christ and, and not to passive obedience only. He sought us and he bought us eagerly as a groom seeking a bride. Justification involves character and conduct and action there are those, when they hear this preaching and teaching on justification, wrongly assume that this type doctrine would give a license to those who have been cleared to sin. And Paul, as Paul would say if he were standing here tonight, God forbid, away with the thought. Those who reason that way know nothing of justification. Matthew five seventeen. he came not to destroy the law, not to annul the law, but what? To fulfill it, to perfectly fulfill it. The whole grounds of our justification is the, the work of Christ, the meritorious work of Christ. Not our merit, but his glorious merit. If he had not lived a sinless life and had not perfectly completed all the law, his sufferings and his death in our place would have been to no avail. He voluntarily took on, from eternity past, to take on a human body and to limit himself to a, a, an infant and be raised under the law in satisfying all the demands of the law. He was under no obligation to do so, but freely gave himself to this end. He put himself under the law to fulfill it. This work of Christ in our place and for us in the Bible is called 
the righteousness of God. In other words, God gives to the sinner the work of Christ. Only a holy and righteous judge could do such a thing. It is reckoned to his account. These are accounting terms. I look out and see we've got some accountants here, and they know what I'm talking about, putting on accounts uh, and, and, and reckoning this to an account. They are treated as though they themselves had done what Christ literally did on their behalf. In James Pettigrew Boyce's abstract of systematic theology, we read, This imputation is in accordance with the action of God throughout the economy of human affairs. Adam, as the representative of man's sin, and his sin has been imputed to all of his descendants, and they are treated as though they are personally sinners. Christ stood also as the representative of his people, and their sins were imputed to him, and he was treated as though personally a sinner. Likewise, his righteousness is imputed to them, and they are treated as though they are personally righteous. Oh, what a glorious transaction this is. In each of these cases, there is, however, no such transfer as makes one personally what he is representatively. It is not the imputed sin of Adam which makes men personally sinners. The corrupted nature is one of the natural consequences of that sin and is a punishment of it. And so the imputation of our sin to Christ did not make him personally a sinner. He was still of himself the holy and the righteous one. In like manner, the imputation of Christ's righteousness does not make man holy and righteous personally. In each of these cases, it is only relation to the law which is expressed. But not only is every sinner uh, not only does every, uh, not, but not every sinner is justified. Only those who believe in Christ savingly are counted righteous. Romans 4, 5, and 9 teaches that faith is the, the, the reckoned, faith, our faith is reckoned to us for righteousness. By faith, the sinner appropriates to himself the work of Christ. Charles Hodge writes, faith is the condition of, of justification. That is, so far as adults are concerned, God does not impute the righteousness of Christ to the sinner until and unless he through grace receives and rests on Christ alone for salvation. It is a condition which has in it no merit in itself, but which only seizes upon the merit in another. It is also an act of the sinner to which he is graciously disposed and led by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And though works do not justify a man, some in their minds immediately turn to the book of James and say, Preacher, what about that? As if James uh, is in contradiction to Paul and the other writings. Works do not justify a sinner. But I will say this on the authority of God's word, that righteous works show that justification has taken place. If there were none, no righteous works, it is proof that no justification has taken place in that sinner's life. Righteous works are an outflowing of justification, not the cause of it. Justification frees us, praise its name, from the condemnation of the law. 
I've mentioned just one part of that condemnation tonight. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This means that we're free from that condemnation, those of us who've come to Christ savingly. Justification frees us. It means that forgiveness of all sin, past, present, and future, is part of this justification, cleared. It brings peace with God, and this peace is an assurance given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are recognized before the law as righteous. It occurs the the moment a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, unlike sanctification, is not progressive. We who are in these bodies here who possess salvation and possess justification are being sanctified. We grow in grace. We learn. We stumble. We sin. We confess our sin. We learn truths. We rejoice. We pray. We learn from our mistakes and from our sins that the mercy and the grace of the Lord continually throughout this whole entire lifespan from the moment of conversion until our eyes close in death and we wake in His likeness, we are being justified. It is a process but our just, our, we are being sanctified. But our justification is immediate. In fact, it takes place in the courts of heaven the moment a sinner believes on Jesus Christ. And sadly, some go to churches all their lives and never learn what it takes place at salvation. They may know salvation is a term, and they may know something about uh, sanctification, but the fact that they've been cleared in the courts of heaven and had the very righteousness of Christ put on their account and they have now been made at peace with God and there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. They know nothing of. And so they, they struggle and wonder about their position, their standing, whether they're saved. They may sin. They may fall into sin and wonder, oh, I've blown it, I've lost it, and there it goes. You see, our justification secures our security in Christ. It brings us peace. It occurs at the moment of our salvation. It is instantaneous. The songwriter puts it so beautifully, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, so that we can say with Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, justified by faith, we praise His name. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your teaching of Your Word What a glorious thought it is to learn that our sins have been nailed to the cross and that our Savior has paid a debt that we owed but could never pay. And through faith, the faith of a child can secure this glorious judicial act whereby the Creator God, God the Father, clears us of blame. We thank you for this precious, precious teaching. In Jesus' name. Amen.